Brandon did something that probably less than 0.01% of you will ever achieve. He built his site to a staggering DR90 on Ahrefs. And look, I'm not saying this to insult you, but just to give you an idea, here are some of the brands that Backlinko.com has more authority than. Lenovo.com, TheSpruce.com, NBA.com, and the sun.co.uk, a national newspaper. And the crazy part is he did this mostly alone, while the brands I just mentioned usually have decades of existence, hundreds, sometimes thousands of employees, and niches much wider that make it much easier to acquire links than the marketing niche. Yet, he beat them. And last year, he sold Backlinko.com for an undisclosed seven-figure amount. But his new project is skyrocketing in the subs even faster than Backlinko did. Exploding topics went from 1,200 organic visitors estimated by Ahrefs at the beginning of 2021 to over 250,000 today. So that leaves us with the question I was asking myself all the time while preparing this interview. Did Brandon get lucky twice, or is there some meta to his madness? And that's what I set myself to discover during this one-hour interview I had with him today. And as you will see, I had to challenge him a little bit sometimes to get the answer I wanted. Among other things, I wanted to figure out the exact process that he uses to create content because his hit rate is very, very high. I also wanted to know how he builds links in 2023, and I wanted to poke him a little bit and ask him some cheeky questions like, what kind of tactics did he recommend at the time of Backlinko that he would not recommend you follow today? I also got him to talk about topics that we really never heard him talk about, like the future of Google with SGE or EEAT. Overall, there are a lot of subtle things that he shares in this interview that made me want to change the way we create content. So let's jump into the interview, but before we do, don't forget to like, subscribe, and click the bell. We're putting a lot of effort into YouTube these days, and the one thing that keeps me going is your comments and subscriptions, so go crazy. And while you're in the comment section, let me know who you'd like to see next in the podcast. All right, enough talk, let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome to the Ontario Hacker Podcast. Today we have the only one, the legend, <laughs> Brian Dean. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. We've actually only met once in real life, so I think it's going to be an interesting talk. And I know everyone's interested to hear your takes on like SEO and all of that, so I think it's going to be an interesting thing. But for people who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself in two sentences? Founder of Backlinko, co-founder of Exploring uh -huh. Topics. That's good enough. I think everyone's seen Backlinko anyway. And talking about Backlinko, that's why I wanted to start the interview, actually. So you sold the site in January 2022, so it's been one and a half year, to SEM Rush. And according to Ahrefs, following the sale, the traffic started declining a little bit until last April, when it just went back, basically. And I know you're still working with SEM Rush, so I wanted to know, like a lot of pages have been updated, etc. I've checked it out on Ahrefs. Do you still work on Backlinko? Do you still do, do the SEO and did you recover the site, basically? I can't take responsibility for the turnaround. <laughs> I wish I could and say, it was me. But yeah, it, really, <laughs> it had nothing to do with me whatsoever. It was just a matter okay. of when they bought the site, figuring out the next best steps, what to do with the site and how to get the most out of it from their perspective. And I think once they made a decision, then they put that into place. And I think that's what you're seeing. Took they just time. getting updated, new content being published and sort of maintenance things that help obviously make a big difference when it comes to organic traffic. I wanted to know because obviously when you make this kind of exit, you tend to work with the companies for a certain time. I do work with them, but not really much on Backlinko. 
Okay, cool. What's the plan with it? What's the plan for Backlinko? What's go what's gonna happen? Because I given the probably pretty high price they've paid for it, I just don't see the return now at the, in its current form. So I'm just curious to see like if you can tell anything about this. I would. I don't really know exactly. I just know for the most part, it's a traffic play to get people to come to the site and rank and, and control a property that ranks for a lot of keywords that Semrush wants to rank for or already does rank for. So then you can have multiple spots on the first page. How you go from that to getting people to sign up for Semrush, I think that's yeah, something that's my they, question. yeah, that, well, that's, that's a big mystery. I think they'll be able to figure it out with like retargeting subtle guess, messages, maybe. retargeting, cause it can put a, a pixel on there, building the email list. I mean, they already optimized the email. They already used the email list to get people to their Semrush Academy. They use that okay. very effectively since they bought the list, getting people from the list to sign up for free courses. They get exposed to SEMrush and they sign up. So I'm not super involved with Backlinko, so I'm probably not the best person to ask like what's going uh, on and what they're trying to do with it. Uh, I, it's like, it's you've worked on it. I'm sure you keep an eye on it a little bit. Like, you know, when we sell yeah. sites, it's like, I always <laughs> like, you know, have the project in Ahrefs or something. I'm looking yeah. how it's going, et cetera, and how the new owners are going. So I'm sure you're doing the same thing. Yeah, it's like an ex-girlfriend. You look at them on Instagram, yeah, right? Exactly. And then you, you just look at it and they're, they're a bit different, but still the same. And you just, yeah. you just, yeah. But like, do you feel like it was a smart play by SEMrush? Like, how do you feel now? a year and a half later like about you and about ICMRush basically I think it was a smart move on their part from because you have to understand for us this is like a lot of money but they're a publicly yeah, yeah. traded company yeah, right? for them, so it's, for them it's like a round I wouldn't say it's a rounding error but it's it's not much so for them to be able to get an ROI in that I think they can do it because yeah. look at it from their perspective they could rank, try to rank for backlinks on page SEO keyword research link building how much will that cost and how in the meantime you're not getting that traffic if it does even work versus like that, you get all those rankings. Now yeah. it's not as valuable like you're, you mentioned, Gail, which is a good point. It's not directly to SEMrush. That traffic isn't going directly there. So you have this sort of intermediary you got to get there, but that can actually be an advantage because you can use it almost like a review site that you own and control. And for like best SEO tools, SEMrush is number one. Best keyword research tools, SEMrush is number one. And it's easier to rank a third party independent site than their own. So if they haven't already got their money's worth, I think they will in the future. I think so too. I think the link equity is quite powerful because one thing that you achieve with Backlinko, which I think 99% of people building websites will never achieve, is reaching a very high level of authority. Like I, we use the HRS metrics, the R90. Little message to a SEO merge, by the way, on the way, they should probably include the authority metrics in their keyword magic tool because mm -hmm. uh, that would help me actually <laughs> use their numbers a bit more often. But I followed you quite closely. I mean, I think I followed you for since the days you were on Wicked Fire, like which was a forum for people who joined in this later. Where a lot it was kind of grayish at SEO, but there was a bit of everything, and a lot of people who did well actually were there. Like Kevin Espiritu from Epic Gardening was also a very big member on Wicked Fire, and now he's just tweeted he's going to make thirty million in sales this year wow. with uh, his website. So he's doing really well. But like, yeah, you started all this way, and I feel like there was three phases in Backlinko. Like I've kind of like divided it like in uh, in backlinkology. I've, I've put three <laughs> time periods in how you run it. I put the first period, which was like the blogger, which was when you started alone and you were releasing kind of like these big guys and they were kind of like a mini event and you tried to make a mini launch every time you launched a blog post. And your focus was very much on growing your email list to his content upgrades, I would say. That was kind of like 
V1 of Backlinko. V2 was like, I think when you established an editorial team and you had some help, so you started having some graphic designers, editors, etc., and building a process still around you. I think at that time when you did an interview, you were like, I still write everything on Backlinko and very much for still focusing on the same format, so large guys, etc. And I feel like the third phase, which is the last phase before you sold, you kind of like abandoned blogging and you became a utility site and you were just releasing these content hubs like SEO hub, content hub, that there was the YouTube hub as well. You have a mm -hmm. few of them, etc. And you kind of like became almost like a bit of a wiki and your top pages started being these pages. Is that how it went or did I forget some, some steps in the process? Well, you just made it sound a lot easier than it was. There was a lot of hard work yeah. through those three phases, I can tell you that. It wasn't like flipping a switch. And that's what I want to talk about. <laughs> I want to talk about how it happened and how you transitioned between each phase, basically, because I think that's the interesting part on how the industry evolved and how you adapted to it, actually. Yeah, and, and you're right, Gail. A big part of these changes was reacting to industry changes and just user behavior changes over time. Like when I first launched Backlinko in 2013, blogging was still a big thing. Like you followed blogs, there were blog roles, you would have pingbacks. It was a di really different time where you would follow these individual bloggers and when they publish a post, you get it on your RSS feed reader and go to their site. And eventually that sort of shifted. Those communities, those conversations moved to Reddit, to Twitter, to YouTube, to other platforms. And it wasn't so much this blog was the, this mini universe, it was just a node in a giant universe. Like you are one planet in a galaxy. So I had to adapt to that. And that's one of the reasons that I switched to this hub model because I realized that the goal is really just to get organic traffic to your site. And there are a certain number of people who will follow every post that you publish and be like, oh, there's a new post coming out. I need to read it and comment right away. But that That's was diminishing. Sad. Yeah, it just was diminishing. And I realized, why am I putting all my effort into these mega guides that are getting you know low and lower or diminishing returns when I could put it into 20 pages in a hub and get 10 times the amount of traffic over the long term? That makes sense. I think one thing that we could notice this on was the comment section. I think we started like two or three years after you, something like this, like we're a little bit behind you. But like when you published a blog post, you'd get like hundreds of comments yep. within 48 hours or something. And it's like, uh, you made a point to reply to everyone. I did not. Uh, so <laughs> congratulations <laughs> to you because it was a lot of work. But like eventually that kind of like tarnished, I felt like yep. it's like for us to the point where I even completely removed the comment section on our wow. sites because it felt like there was, most people would comment because they tried to get a link back, even if it's a no-follow link uh, from the WordPress comment system. And the value, the value of the debate was, I felt low, or what was yeah. left over basically. And one thing is like, we all thought that, yeah, oh my God, the comments matter so much for SEO, it helps you, etc. No change when we remove the comments personally. So it's like, is, is that something that you've also given up, like kind of like UGC on your site? Because I feel like social media is a better place for it. I agree with you. I've noticed the same trend happen. And with exploring topics, when we started that blog, my first rule of thumb was to have no comments. I'm like, comments mm. are just a pain. You got to moderate them. There's so much you know spam. That, yeah. And then, yeah, the, like WordPress has some built-in spam things, but it's just so much. For every one good comment, there's 10 spam comments. And then there's like 10 kind of, like you said, those people that want their no-follow link. It's not technically spam, but it kind of might as well be. So if I was just, I started another blog from scratch and I have no comments. And I think I would, I would do that again if I was starting a different blog. But, I would also do no comments. Well, 
One thing that surprised me, though, is the way you structured Exploding Topic. It's still a blog. You haven't done the hub thing. Like, you kind of, like, moved over with Backlinko, and you have you came back with Exploding yeah. Topic to, like, a blog system. Why? There isn't really a hub of, like, a topic we've really gone into that's like, oh, this would be perfect for a hub. Because for a hub to work, it needs to be a pretty meaty topic. Like, mm. like you mentioned, okay, yeah, we have the SEO hub, the YouTube hub, the content marketing, these seem to be like gigantic topics in order to justify having 30, 40, or 50 entries into the hub. With Exploring Topics, haven't really discovered that big, high-level topic that would, that would require a hub. So in the meantime, we're just doing the blog. I'm not opposed to doing it. It's just yeah. for that. Like if you're in fitness, you need like a bodybuilding hub, protein hub, you know, cardio hub. Like it had to be huge topics and just haven't really come off across one of those. But like the thing is like most of your content on exploding topic is like trends and statistics, etc. And couldn't you categorize them, for example? So your blog hub, like your blog page almost would be like, oh, like uh, here's the tech, the tech trends, here's the, the fitness trends, here's the whatever, etc. And then you could like essentially build hubs around what these pages are about, basically. And then yeah. you'd go into they're just not, but the, the challenge there is that they're they're kind of about different things. So you have like fitness trends and business trends. They're both about trends, but they're totally different. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, your, your blog is trends. Like, you're like the same much. way you were SEO, you are trends. <laughs> yeah, and pretty now much. it's like you need to categorize it. Yeah, okay. But no, like, I'm I not can see why you do that. It's a good idea. It's just something that I haven't been able to, like, I haven't found yeah. a topic that's be perfect for a hub with Backlinko. Found a couple. We even have a templates library, which turned that into a hub, and that brings oh, in a ton that. of traffic. That's been a goldmine for traffic for Backlinko. It's like that, but I was just interested to see how you moved over from blogs on Backlinko <laughs> and you kind of came back to yeah. it when you were exploring topics. So I think that was an interesting thing to look at. One thing I wanted to talk about as well is like how you put your content together. Because I think a lot of people are interested in your SEO tactics, but I think your SEO would never do that well if the content was not so well put together. And I think it's like, it's a bit more difficult to talk into specifics about that. But I think one thing that characterizes content written by you, and quite often I can open a page and tell that you've worked on it, even though I don't see the other name or like who owns the website, is like there's like a ratio of words and sentence lengths to number of images, for example, that you have, like the number of images you have on content is very high compared to most people. The, um, your paragraphs are very short and they kind of like jump from one to another and they, they read like a, a bit like a BuzzFeed story. Not in a bad way, you know what I mean? No, like, I know what you mean. In the engagement part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and also I think your content width is also very narrow usually with a large mm. font size. Yeah. Like, is there anything else on like how you put your pages together that makes them more engaging that would help people essentially drive more engagement without changing anything to their content? Yeah, I think two things. So one is that like, yeah, use a lot of images, but the images should tell a story and help someone move down the page. So the way I looked at images was for tutorial stuff, how to do something, which is most of the mm. content at Backlinko. Could this exist without the text? That was the goal of the images. If you could just see the images and follow along, maybe not perfectly, because that's what the text is for, but you could have an idea of what to do or what I'm talking about, then the image does its job. And that goes within the image itself. Like it's not just an image, like it should be a tight, screenshot of that section with the important part highlighted with arrows and examples. That's really the main thing with images. Now, with non-how-to stuff like explaining something, that's where visuals come into play. But it's sort of the same idea that people are visual creatures and the text is obviously the main part of your content. But images should play like as important a role as the text itself. 
do you like still write all the content yourself? Or like, how do you teach people to write like that? Because it's personally, I'll tell you, in our editorial team, it's very difficult to get people to do that. Like freelance writers, they like to write a lot of content. They like to put lots of fluff in there. How do you get someone from Upwork, which you mentioned you hire a lot of writers for, to write like that? Well, I don't, I don't have them write like me. Like for exploring yeah, yeah. topics, it's it's the different style. Like it's more B2B. And there's no how-to There's still a bit stuff. of that still. There's yeah, still a I mean, little bit well, of like that well, concise so, yeah. <laughs> There's definitely, oh, those, that stuff's universal. Like even if you go to yeah, the McKinsey yeah. blog, for example, McKinsey has some of the best B2B blog content online. And if you look at their stuff, they use the same things. Big margins. So the, the text is, is smushed within the small area. Short yeah. sentences, big font, easy to read, serif font. That and a lot of images, like they follow the, the same rules as Backlinko, a totally different style. So you're right, Gail. Like the the approach that works, I try to do that for everything that I contribute to. But the writing style, like the hey, here's the deal, you know, for example, <laughs> like you shouldn't be doing that unless that's really like no, you. yeah, um, I agree. No, it's more like the conciseness, etc. It's like how do you get your writers to basically say the same thing in half the words? Do you have like some kind of editorial process that you go through? Like how that like how do you how do you go and and probably transform what you get that's not perfect to what ends up on the site, basically? A lot of comments on Google Docs, honestly, the suggest so I will go through personally when we when you take on a new writer. And mm. the main thing I'm looking for, Gail, you pointed out exactly is same message, fewer words. Sometimes I will just change sentences and just put same message, fewer words. And I'd say that's when I edit, my editing is mainly focused on reducing the words with, while retaining the same message. Everything else, like there's some things about clarity, word usage when you edit. But for the most part, for me, it's trying to condense that message into as few words as possible and as few sentences as possible. Really get it down to the nitty gritty. And you're right. It's actually the opposite of how most freelance writers approach it. They try exactly. to do the opposite. <laughs> Flappery like So you have this internal conflict that's like, and sometimes it mm -hmm. just doesn't work out. So that's why when I hire a writer, I usually have a test project and I send them our guidelines, which are very simple. And it's basically like really concise writing, blah, blah, blah. And, and if they're on the right track, then I'll work with them. If it's totally off and they're just using like, wacky examples like when you're doing marketing it's kind of like being a heart surgeon you have to be careful like when you're doing that sort of stuff it's like you're too far gone <laughs> i can't help you but for the most part if you've done your screening questions and seen their writing style but you're right there's yep. always this eternal conflict between me trying to get down to the media stuff and them trying to fluff up a bit that's what's interesting because like that's how your content like kind of like distinguishes itself from like the average piece of SEO content that would come out. And what's interesting when you think about that is, uh, I, and the question that comes from that is, do you use any kind of like on-page tool like Surface SEO or something like this? No, I was gonna say, because essentially this also conflicts with the writing style you have. Yeah, uh, that's one so of the you're reasons getting great results. It. Yeah, exactly. You probably hate it, right? You probably use it and they ask you to put all these words and then you're like, no, I want I want it more concise and I want to do all of that. Exactly. I mean, when I hire, like for writers now, I don't even mention SEO to them. Here's mm. a topic, cover the topic. Don't mention keyword placements, surfer SEO, H2. I don't even do on-page SEO. It's just create the best okay. piece of content on that topic and publish it. That's it. The only on-page SEO is put the keyword in the title, in the URL and in a couple of times in the content, which 99% of the time happens automatically. So I don't even do on-page SEO basically anymore. 
And how about um, checking your competitors for like essentially like what's on the page, like making sure you, there's no information no. gap, etc. Do you do any of that, or you just no. go like, you know what, I'll do the page my Raw way. Raw dog, just uh, go right for it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so it goes against everything most people say, but I think that's interesting because obviously yeah. people can go check exploring topics. You're doing really well, so it's like obviously that's proof that this approach works, and and I think. That's nice because it's like, it feels fresh when you read the content as opposed to like a lot of like rehashed stuff that you might find on the subs. It's kind of like something that's rarely talked about how the way you put content together, but I think that's probably one of the most important traits of what you're doing well. It's just a bit more difficult to talk about it. Talking about Backlink, I have a bit of a trick question. What okay. kind of tips that you gave to people across the years you ran it, would you say they probably shouldn't follow anymore? Wow, that's a good question. Yeah, I think a lot of on-page SEO stuff that was really important back then is less mm -hmm. important now that I would basically say, this stuff probably, on-page SEO is one of those things where unless you're doing like shady stuff or crazy stuff, it can't hurt you probably and it can only help. For me, it's more of a resource and focus thing. Like I'd rather just have my writer focus on creating the best stuff as opposed to worrying about on-page SEO and being like, I need to put this in there, I've covered this and content gaps and all that stuff. So yeah, I would say a lot of on-page SEO stuff probably is a bit outdated that I had at the time because it was important then, maybe not as yeah, important Yeah, changed now. as well, right? Google has yeah. changed a lot since then. So, so much, like... so much. We're talking about 10 years, which in SEO terms is yeah, like exactly. a century. So when <laughs> yeah. I first started, if you didn't do all this stuff, you, had, you would struggle to rank. Now it probably doesn't matter as much. Same with a lot of link building stuff. Like I was advocating cold outreaching people and just asking for a link. That was one of my questions. I wouldn't recommend that actually. anymore. That doesn't work <laughs> anymore. Like there's a probably stuff I'm not even thinking of. There's a laundry list of things that as the industry changes, as the world changes, things don't work anymore. And I published them. They worked at the time because that's, that's basically my goal with Backlinko and with my YouTube channel now is just trying stuff, sharing what I learned and what worked and what didn't. And that obviously changes as time goes on. Yeah, I think it's nice to see you like you're kind of like simplifying your approach. I think as you kind of like gain experience, you realize that a lot of gimmicks maybe are not as needed as they used to be. Or like, you know, they, they kind of like training wheels to build the right habits sometimes. And it's like, you probably do a lot of on-page SEO without thinking about it now. So to the point where you don't necessarily have to have the guidelines, et cetera, and it still works okay. And also I think your sites have pretty high authority. So usually the higher authority, the more forgiving Google will be. That's um, so that helps. But like, you know, for example, when you say don't do outreach, I would temper that a little bit in the sense that if you have a brand new site and nobody knows about you and you don't go talk to anyone, few people are going to come talk <laughs> to you. It's going to be hard to yeah. actually get yourself out there. So I think, I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think for beginners, there's still probably a place for outreach, but it's nice to kind of like have that shift of gear at some point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to build assets that will do that for me instead, you know? Yeah. Good point. Yeah, of course. I'm not saying don't email anyone, just sit in, yeah, your, yeah. in your basement in your underwear and hope that people link to you. It's more <laughs> that if that's your like cornerstone strategy and if you expect to cold email 100 people and get 10 replies, you're going to be in for a world of hurt versus when I first was when I was doing that, I was getting like an 8% conversion rate on those outreach yeah. emails, which is unheard of now. So it's more about expectations are different. And maybe now you're better off DMing someone on Instagram or, you know, maybe there's like different stuff LinkedIn, like that where we're creating a short yeah. video on YouTube shorts about that person to get their attention, like how great they are. So there's things evolve and things change. But yeah, you're right. If you're just like hoping people link to you, it's never going to happen. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I think that the problem people have is they start with some tactics, they get some success and they struggle switching gears. There's total mm. understanding like, okay, I've reached that point where 
this tactic like now is linear growth and it's like an extra 10 backlinks to my site doesn't do as much of a, an effect as it used to and i need to shift to tactics that will generate like maybe take more time to get going but generate more links over time eventually as they get going and compound actually like getting that compounding effect that you can get through manual work i had to learn that the hard way i mean when backlinko started to get traction I would email 150 people every time I publish a blog post. Actually, before I publish yeah, a yeah. blog post, I would say, you <laughs> shared this thing about on-page SEO. I have a thing coming up about on-page SEO. And I would I did that for like way longer than I should have, where it didn't make any sense. I had the email list. I had all this stuff, the audience. And I was still doing it because you're right. You just get into the habit. And it, even though it didn't make mm -hmm. sense, I was just like, this is what works, like, like a zombie. I got to do this. I got to do this. And you're right. There needs to be a point where you assess and say, this doesn't really make sense anymore. It's the switching gear moment. It's quite difficult. There's lots of these moments, I think, in SEO. It's like it, it's quite hard to give a cookie cutter tactic to people because it really depends on what they are at actually and what they do. You said on the Mad Diggity podcast that you didn't care too much, but not podcast because you did only one, but you didn't care too much about content <laughs> clusters or even topical authority at the time. Topical authority, I don't know if you followed the SEO industry, but has gained a lot of ground since then, which is basically the idea of like if you are like fully covering a topic, you're more likely to rank for the keywords, basically. Like, how do you feel today about that stuff? Did anything change? And do you have any personal stories to share? Yeah, I still don't. I think it's a, it's overrated in that sense. I think Google obviously considers you an expert on certain things and for certain entities, yeah. but that's more related to links than you publishing a bunch of content. Because for example, let's say that you have a site and you've never written about video games before. And you're like, I want to be a topical authority on video games. So I'm going to do a whole bunch of posts about the Xbox, PlayStation 5, a Steam Deck. It doesn't mean you know anything about those things. Anyone can publish 20, 30, 50 pieces about anything. It doesn't mean you're an authority. You have any topical anything. What yeah. Google wants to look at is links. So I'll give you a couple of examples from exploring topics recently where we realized like one of our topical authorities was related to trends and Google Trends specifically. And every time we publish something about Google Trends, we rank like that. And it's because we're linked to as Google Trends alternatives, other places to find trends. Has nothing to do with we published. Like we published one thing about Google Trends ever before that point. Mm. So it's less about what you're doing and more about how Google sees you in the ecosystem and sees what you're an expert on. And that mainly comes from links, but obviously to get links to that sort of stuff, you need to publish content on it. So I think there's a little bit of a chicken, the egg, like, oh, I publish all this content about this thing. Therefore, Google sees me as authority. But if you look at it logically, there's no reason Google's going to say, wow, this guy published 30 articles about making banana bread. He must be an expert on that. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So especially it's all AI, right? Yeah, especially with AI, you could do that in five minutes. So it's all about the links and, and that you're getting to your site and how Google's understanding you as an entity. So yeah, definitely. And I've learned this myself with exploring topics. Like we try to publish stuff outside of our wheelhouse, like in totally different, just experiments. And they sometimes don't do that well. And I think part, and when I say don't do that well, targeting a keyword with like almost no difficulty in ranking 50th. And that's just mm. because Google doesn't see us as an expert. I don't think publishing 20 of those is all of a sudden going to magically get those I to see. appear. So it's not based on the content on your site, it's based on like what other people say about you. Exactly. And But the content on your site will represent what people say about you. So there is a relationship there, right? Like yeah, if you yeah, publish a bunch of stuff Because the content bread, is there, people yeah. mention it and therefore you become the authority. But I think one thing that I pointed out in a video reproducing today at the day we're recording is that the problem with topical authority in the SEO world is that uh, SEOs use, you try to achieve that using uh, keyword tools only. And the problem with keyword mm. tools is they have a massive lag between what people are talking about today, which Google sees in real time, 
and what you see in a Kiro tool. So I took the example of the Apple Vision Pro, you know, the, the mm -hmm. headset yep. that they released. If you put Apple Vision Pro in Ahrefs, for example, they will show you 30 searches per month. And it's like, there's nothing. It's been released two months ago. And yeah. it's like, how can you establish yourself as an authority in the eyes of Google that sees all this stuff in real time if you have an Apple site that hasn't talked about the Vision Pro because the only place you pick your topics is your keyword tool. Actually, really, really good opening to talk about exploding topics, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really think yeah. about that, but I think it makes sense. But I think a problem with a, a topical authority as well is that SEOs think like SEOs and that they don't really, they, they, they do with the tools they always did with and they kind of like limits their ability to actually achieve that true status of authority in the eyes of Google because they're missing what is trending in their niche if they only pick SEO topics, basically. Yeah. How do you use exploding topics for that? Like, do you use it for that? Do you use it for content ideas? Because a lot of people ask, actually, when I ask on social media. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, it's one of the use cases. I mean, our main use case are VCs and investors and e-commerce. Those are the two big ones are people yeah. that are VCs and investors and people that have e-commerce sites or sell on Amazon. But we do have some content people, too. The only challenge with that is that Sometimes if you have a really niche, if you're really like a niche, tiny there's niche, lot, yeah. there's just not a lot of trends. Like we'll find them if they exist. So sometimes people reach out to us, be like, what are the biggest windshield wiper trends in Australia? <laughs> it's just like, man, I don't know. There's like one, maybe a year. So that's why VCs and investors are tend to be our best customers because they want to know a wide range of stuff. They want to know what's happening in e-commerce. They want technology, food, CPG, all those industries. Same thing with e-commerce. Like they want to know what the big ne the next Instant Pot's going to be, the next air fryer is going to be. And for content, if you have like one of our clients runs, one of our customers runs like they're publicly traded and they run a bunch of websites, I can't say who, but they're a good use case because they have a bunch of different sites in different industries, sports, technology, gaming, movies. So for I'm them, I bet like, it's Red Ventures, but uh, <laughs> I can't say. I don't know how many public companies run a bunch of websites. There's not yeah. that many, like there's a dot dash, dot dash Meredith maybe, there's like uh, Red Ventures, there's like five or six only. So it's like, it's mm -hmm. one of these basically. Well, yeah, I, it makes sense for them. I agree for small sites, it's quite, it's quite difficult and probably, I'd probably just stick to Google Trends if you yeah. only get one, uh, one a year or something. It doesn't make sense. If you um, only write about like, vegan baking i mean yeah you'll yeah, find yeah. we'll have trends in that for sure but i don't know about enough to justify it it's probably not yeah good. makes sense but like for larger niches i think it can be quite useful like for example i had a golf site and there's like um there's lots of uh, clubs releasing at the beginning of the year usually uh, mm -hmm. and lots of uh, mo new models trending and it's quite interesting to decide what to review on your site because the keyword tools will not pick that up but these kind of trends tool will actually help you know which like what the community is talking about, etc. So it's quite useful. I want to talk about something that is somewhat related to what we talked about. It's one thing that you did towards the end of Backlinko, where you released lots of statistics pages, which felt like the prequel of exploding topics, basically. Um, <laughs> but what was interesting to me is like how wide you went with that, because like Backlinko was an SEO website, let's say online marketing, like I think you touched a bit on email marketing, etc. But like you have statistics pages about iPhones, Roblox users, Uber, Amazon Prime, Coinbase, Peloton, etc. You went very, very wide. And I was surprised to see you go this wide. Can you explain why you decided to do that on Backlinko? I mean, first of all, those ranked, didn't they? Yeah, and they did, Anything absolutely. about Peloton <laughs> on the site. Nothing about Uber, nothing about Amazon, nothing about these... Yeah, like, yeah. They all ranked. Which is why the topic of authority is interesting because essentially we talked about, oh, Google needs to see you as the authority. Yet you've done well with these statistics pages and they've got you a lot of links. 
And I think they contributed a lot to you getting to this level of authority on SEO tools like DR90, et cetera, on Ahrefs. And so like, I'm, I'm curious to see like, how wide you're comfortable to be on a website to cover these topics, to, to acquire links, basically. Yeah, I mean, recently I've sort of tried to tighten that up with exploring topics because what happens is you create these stats. First, you, you go in your industry and you create all the stats pages that you can. And then you're like, meh. This is kind yeah. of related. Then he uses like mental gymnastics to justify how Peloton <laughs> is related to SEO. It's kind of tech, like, so yeah, it's kind like, of oh, okay. I, I, sometimes I think about SEO when I'm on the Peloton, so that seems like a good fit. <laughs> you just do whatever mental gymnastics you need. So recently with Exploring Topics, we deleted a stats page because I realized I just don't want to go this route. We had a page out about texting and driving and okay, how it's yeah. dangerous and stats about how dangerous it is. And it was just like, you know what? This just isn't us. Let's just get away from that stuff. And we deleted the page. And I think that, and then I tightened it up from now on, the guidelines are like, the stat has to be about business or technology, basically. If it's about business or okay. technology, it probably works, but I'm trying to tighten that up and just not go with those crazy, like, like with Backlinko at the end, shot. we had Spotify. I mean, Snaps, Roblox was a, was a stretch for me, you know? Roblox, <laughs> so, well, it's technology, right? I guess. Yeah, but that's yeah a, okay, but it's like, a, it's a game for four years old kids, you know, <laughs> four to six years old. I was like, okay, Backlinko, Roblox, I don't know. You know? Yeah, that, but you're right. It's, it's something that I've been like concerned about and really like, and, and the point is like, say we, this texting and driving page, if it does get a lot of links, mm. will that even help that much? Because it's so unrelated. That's my next question. I don't want to, yeah. and don't even want to risk that. Like why poke the bear when you don't have to? So if you run out of stats pages, you run out of stats pages. I'd rather have that than just say, let's just do, open it up to anything and start doing heart disease stats and stuff like that. Now I found a lot of these on technology sites that already have these stats pages. And that's why I found some of these topics. And my thought process was, well, they do it. Like how back could it be? <laughs> and then now I'm, th I'm like, you know what? Th when I saw it, after it was published for a couple of weeks, I'm like, this is bothering me. So let's just delete it. Okay. Yeah. I think that, I think that's an interesting one because obviously you can't deny it has worked. And it's like, especially on a site like Backlinko, et cetera, it has generated lots of links for you, et cetera. But at the same time you have Google that's like, oh, you should stay in your lane. You should really focus yeah. on your stuff, et cetera. And it's like, I was looking at that and it felt like the illustration of not staying in your lane. But at the same time <laughs> also, you have large sites that like, publish about everything as well. So in a way, yeah. uh, they're all breaking that rule. So it kind of makes you want to jump, especially when you're at this level of authority. But my next question about these pages is like, okay, they get you traffic and links, but do they make you money? Not directly, but through yeah. internal linking, they can increase a money page. Speaking of the old, the old days, they can increase the money page rankings really nicely and increase your domain authority overall. And if you have good like site navigation, that authority can just flow through your site generally, and then you can target it if you want to. So yeah, if you, in terms of like ROI, you're going to really have a hard time saying, I paid this much and I'm making this much from any piece of content, but especially a stats yeah, page yeah. like Tesla stats. Uh, tracking the ROI on SEO content itself no, is it's quite tricky. I mean, so tricky. We, we do some of it on uh, on our site. So like we can see based on the opt-ins and like we track all the way to conversions. So we get an idea of like which pieces of content make us more money, the value per lead, the value per conversion on the pop-ups, nice. et cetera, per page, et cetera. So it's kind of like, you can do that, but it's a pain in the ass to set up. It's not fully accurate. <laughs> and it's like, but like the value you get from the links, I think is, is, is very worth it. You talked about internal linking for these pages. Like how do you, how do you do that? Basically, once you have the page there and it's getting links, you look at pages on your site that are real closely related and then link to them. That's usually how I try okay. to do it. So, so I don't no go crazy. so much like this page needs a boost because then, then again, you're going into your whole like mental gymnastics trying to make it work. In this case, I have a, I have a, you know, we have a stats page about like the most visited websites, for example. Well, we should link to our web, our, you know, stuff about traffic. 
and about online marketing, stuff that's, that's more directly related. So I just tell, even when I ask writers to internally link, I just tell them, link to the stuff that makes the most sense for the user, and usually that's content that's related. Okay, so like it's within the copy, right? You don't have any kind of widget or anything like that. At that the end, with the, sometimes if it doesn't make sense to include in the copy, it's not possible. At the end, in the conclusion, we'll just put, if you like this, we have a, so, let's say we have social media stats. Here's our post about social media trends. Okay. Being so at the bottom of the page, one. the link probably isn't as valuable, but it's still, it's better than no. I think it's still okay. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. How long until you start, this, you think the static is going to be saturated? Because like a lot of people um, are doing statistics pages right now. So it's like... Uh, yeah, it's definitely more competitive, but it's still not that competitive because it doesn't have that like fast turnaround time in terms of results. Like you publish one, it could take a month for it to rank, four months for it to rank, then you get a link, then you get your next link a couple months later. Like it's not one of those strategies that's like, boom, you get all these results. So... I can't see True. it taking up. Plus, most people choose keywords that are way too competitive. And by nature, those are competitive keywords, right? Because everyone's just getting links to those pages. Like you look at the keyword competition on some of these keywords that get like a thousand searches a month. It's like 85, 90. And it's because everyone's getting links to these pages. Not, they're not competitive in the traditional sense. So the real magic of doing this is, is finding those keywords that aren't competitive but are stats pages. And maybe they don't, they're not even, don't even use the word statistics. Like we have one users, on our site about yeah, well, users. Yeah. Like we, we created one about how many users ChatGPT has. We published that soon after ChatGPT came out and we've got like dozens of links to that page within a couple of weeks. And because when it came out, there was really no competition. Yeah, makes sense. Are you not afraid of Google SG kind of like swallowing this eventually? Like uh, when Google will have like a massive <laughs> chunk of content above all the results and like, you know, people will essentially, will essentially take everyone's stats, put it on top and give the result. Like, do you think that's gonna affect it's even more reason to publish them now. Get in while you can. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one thing that you've done well, actually. It's like, I think you, you clearly see these things coming, but you also don't forget what's working today. And it's like, it's quite important because the wins you get today, they'll help you tomorrow. As you grow your authority, as you earn links, etc., they'll still earn you traffic in the future, even if maybe the tactic works less, I guess. Yeah, um, exactly. So I think, uh, I think that's like, that's what we've seen through you transitioning through these different models on Backlinko, for example. I have another cheeky question. I mean, the first okay. one is like, what are you the, the most proud of when it comes to Backlinko? I think honestly, the most thing I'm proud of is how many people have helped decipher SEO and get and do something with it. Because before Backlinko came around, your best bet for learning SEO was either like the Gray Hat forums or Moz, yeah. basically. Those are your two options. I hopefully presented a third option, which was like, here's some tactical stuff you can try. Practical. But it's also by the book. Exactly, yeah. practical. So that was really what I'm proud of because over the years, I've re received a lot of messages from people saying, help build my business this way. Thanks to your course, thanks to the blog, I was able to build my business. So for me, it's, I'm proud that I was able to create something that so many people found valuable. Okay. Now the, the cheeky part of the question, what are you the least proud of when it comes to Backlinko? <laughs> oh man, that's a good question. Least proud of. Probably in the early days, I was really focused on being too actionable to the point of like anything that someone could do let's do it. Like I found, for example, in the early days, a post that I deleted was about, I forgot exactly what I called it. It was like authority funneling or something. And the idea was you created a profile on a site with a link back to your site, but it wasn't your typical profile page because if you were active on that site, it would create internal links back to your profile oh, page yeah, yeah, and you okay. get authority that way. Like I even went out, you know, I was something that I was like, yeah, was this going to make a huge difference in your rankings? But it was actionable. Like, that's kind of what I was focused on. And then over the years, I realized, like, 
I sort of, but back then I, I was just a random guy writing in my freaking apartment. <laughs> then when the site got authority, I was realized like Spider-Man, great power comes from great responsibility. So I went <laughs> back and I changed and deleted all that stuff that I thought wasn't really something that represented what I wanted to represent. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, it was pretty much an extension of, you know, at the time people were selling p monthly PDFs of for forums where you can make a profile to do a oh, yeah, back, back to your site, right? So yeah. it was a bit of an extension of that. I, th I think it was called Paul and Angela's Backlinks. Oh, of course, that's from Warrior Forum. Release. Of course I remember that, from Warrior Forum. Every like week it'd be like, yeah. they'd even be VAs that specialized in Paul and Angela's yeah, links, yeah. <laughs> it's like that was the, the good old times, right? <laughs> in your interview last year with Matt Diggity, you said that you wouldn't focus on building a personal brand anymore. Yeah, here you are building up the brand in YouTube channel again. What happened? Well, some time, <laughs> time to <laughs> pause and reflect. When I went on Matt's podcast, the only it episode, was right after, like right? you mentioned, right after I sold the site. And to give you context, like for two years, I was running two businesses at the same time. Now, Backlinko was sort of on maintenance mode, so it wasn't like high growth or anything like that, but Exploring Topics was growing really quickly. And then you add a, you know, as I'm doing these two businesses, you add a third business, which is selling your site, which is a ton of work, mm. ton of site to, ton of work to sell a business. You have to get all your financials, all the contractors you worked with, get all that stuff together. And then you sold. It's like, oh, you get this sigh of like, finally, you don't have to do that stuff anymore that you don't want to do. And when I went on Matt's show, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was pretty soon after. I remember I was exhausted, but I just did it because I'm Matt's a great guy. But I was probably in this like tired, I just want to move to the mountains and drink yerba mate and look at the trees <laughs> all day sort of phase of my life. Have some time to chill and reflect. And now I'm like, you know what? The YouTube channel, if I do it a different way, it could still be fun. But it's not really trying to build any sort of personal brand. It's just creating videos that I want to create and that I enjoy. Okay, cool. That makes sense. It's just, it was funny to, like, I was reviewing that when I was pre re yeah. preparing the interview and uh, I did that. And as I reviewed all your videos, one of the things you explain is that 90% of your content is, con is template driven and that you basically give that template to a writer and then they just keep writing about the same topic. I mean, not a, with the same template again and again. And that allows you to scale content these days. Like, how do you identify content formats? Like when you do your research and your planning? I mostly look at competitors and what they've ranked for. And even if it's just one, like format, mm. I'm always looking at, can this scale up? Like the first one uh, format and template that we really nailed were these startup list posts. And I discovered mm. those from uh, builtin.com, which is a site, please don't link to them in the show notes because they compete with a <laughs> bunch of us. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> now you can, I don't care. But the point is they have like tons of startups about education, FinTech, whatever. And I realized, man, they just, that's the whole website is one template. Like that's all they published. So we can do that too. And I've just basically tried to look for, if I look at a topic and can only cover it once, it's probably not really worth all that time and effort. Um, so I'm always looking for templates. And actually right now we're sort of on the hunt for like a new template because we've run out. Like we published 450 posts, I think on the blog at this yeah. point. And at that point you just kind of run dry and then you'll find one and be like, oh God, this is another 50 right here, but it'll come out of nowhere. Because you, you, you find one, you realize, oh, we can spin that up into 50 or 100 and you're good for a while. Uh, so it's a little bit living paycheck to paycheck, like trying to find templates and then you run out and then you're forced to find another one. But that's sort of how we've lived. So basic, basically looking at the competitors, right? Once you've built a template, yeah. how much do you stick to it versus adapting to whatever you see for that given keyword? I guess you said you don't look at the competitors, but do you really not look at them or, and follow your template exactly every single yes. time or do you adjust? Follow the template 100%. Now look at the, we'll look at the competitors just to get search intent for mm. how much content do they want, for example. So for a startup list post, do they want 10? Do they want 20? Do they want yeah. 50? Do they want 100? 
that could help okay. inform that decision. But the actual content is going to be exactly stick to the template. Okay, makes sense. It's like, that's something that we've been a bit guilty of. It's like, we've adapted our templates too much and that makes editorial a lot more painful. So it's like, I wanted to hear your answer on that. Mm. How do you maintain the content quality when you give the same template to a writer again and again? It's like, I find that there's kind of like a cycle of quality with freelance writers where it's like, they'll be great at the beginning and it's going to be good for a while and it's just going to slowly decline in quality or they'll find corners to cut. And if, if it passes editorial, if they don't actually get uh Core doing that, it just gets false over time. How do you maintain the quality and, and the motivation, I guess? The motivation is hard because I'm still basically editor-in-chief of the blog. So it's the both. Yeah. Like, the answer is I'm personally reviewing everything that gets published because you have that same cycle with the editor. And like you said, if the editor is having a slow day and they're like, yeah, it's fine. Like publish it. Yeah. That That's writer learns. Like you're saying, that writer's like, oh, wow. Oh, I can get away with this. But if it's me personally on every post, I'm crazy, right? So like, <laughs> I'm not going to let anything go that's not at this ridiculously high standard. Not scalable at all. Uh, I guess it's scalable to a point because we publish four posts a week, but I don't know how sustainable it is because I still love working on content and SEO and growing the blog, but I just don't know like five years from now if it makes sense for me to be reviewing like some review post that comes in or some startup list post that I comes see. in. So that's your personal challenge basically, like find yeah. a way to get out of this position while not <laughs> dipping in quality. But it's really hard, man. Like even with Backlinko, that's one of the reasons that I never really took on other writers except for a couple of small, a couple of select projects was the standard is so high. It's hard to find someone that will meet that standard. And then you have to find an editor that understands it. And like, it just, for me, it's just like not really possible or practical. So I just do it myself. Fair enough. I think it's interesting because like a lot of people in SEO, they just all want to build systems and scale, etc. And I quite like the idea of like, sometimes do it yourself, except it's not scalable, but actually achieve higher results. So it's nice to hear that from. It's usually like a debate between Mark and I, let's be honest. Like, it's <laughs> like, he wants want? to build systems. And I want to kind of like, hand. I mean, I'm doing the podcast, you can see. <laughs> so okay. you guess, what pod gets, guess what side I'm on. Yeah. But what do you give to your writers? What do your editorial looks like? Like, do you give, how much documentation do you give them apart from, I guess, the template? Not much because the template speaks for itself. I mean, yeah, okay. if, if it depends on the template, like we have these, you know, trends posts, which are like biggest business trends. Those are pretty wide open. Like there's a template there, but you have to decide on the trends you're going to cover, write about them. So for those, we have like our best writers on that. And that's usually someone who's like ex McKinsey, ex Bain Consult, Bain or Deloitte or like a big firm, like either a hedge fund or something where they're good at analysis. Like they can understand how to write, how to understand a big, industry, what's going on, and the ability to write about it. But for something like fill in all these startups that are growing and their funding round, it's usually a bit simpler in terms of the person that you need to do that. Yeah, so it kind of depends. My next question is like, obviously, you're, you're putting lots of work into templating all that content. Why don't you consider using AI content if you were collecting just the facts that you want in your article, if it's so templated? Because yeah, AI I mean, could do pretty decent, no? It could for a lot of it, yeah. I, I mean, for example, with the startup list posts, I mean, mm. those descriptions that are like three to four sentences about what the startup is, AI could probably do a decent job of that. But th that's yeah. also an opportunity to have a human not just write about what, like a generic description of the company, but also give insight to why it's growing. Like Liquid Death, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're uh, a water, canned water company that's going to oh, go, okay. go public. And they're like, you know, why is this, everyone's like, why is this canned water company going to go public? Well, if you ask ChatGPT what Liquid Death is, it'll just describe Doesn't it. Know, it's yeah. a canned water company, blah, blah, But if you're reading a startup list post and one actually describes like why they're growing and gives a stat about how much they grew over the last year, 
then that's going to help your stuff stand out. So yeah, I think AI could do a decent job. Like for example, in our app or in our actual actual platform, we're using AI to write descriptions of companies because those just need to be straight up. Here's what the thing is. But for our, our content of like why a company is growing, I think it's still helpful to have a human at this point do that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're looking more at like hybrid processes or not. And so we're like looking at like sections in the article that can be written by AI and sections that can be written by humans all together with like an editor that actually goes through the whole article and make sure everything flows. But um, yeah, I think it's pretty useful. Like for example, this interview, you see how I'm quoting all your videos and everything. I actually fed all the transcripts of all your videos, podcast interviews to this AI from uh, called Claude that has a hundred thousand tokens read all of it and I was able to chat with every con all the content you've created that and find all these quotes. That's so cool. like actually most of this interview, a lot of the quotes, I mean, I've watched all your videos as they came out, but I don't necessarily remember everything. And so this was like, uh, it can be helpful for content creation in like more creative ways than just write me an article basically, which I think, uh, I think that that's the future basically. So I was just curious because you're so close. You're basically advocating, figuring it out with AI <laughs> now with the way you, yeah. you're telling people yeah. to do that. And so it's like, it's quite interesting that you're not dabbling with it yet. Talking about AI, how are you preparing for Google SG and what do you think of it? Let's just do what I think of it. I yeah, honestly think, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be as huge as people think. Why do I say that? Well, let's just look at it. Like, there's a lot of guessing and prediction about mm -hmm. what could happen. I'm not even going to get into that because the future is unknown. We don't know yet. What do we know now? ChatGPT was launched in November. It was the fastest growing application of all time. Faster Until than Instagram, or like ridiculously <laughs> fast growth. And tech people who are very tech savvy, who tend to search a lot, were using it the most. That was a, pretty soon that's going to be a year ago when ChatGPT is launched. Like it's November. right around the corner. How have Google, and then Bing also incorporated their own search, right? And SGE is available in limited amounts in Google mm -hmm. as well. How have Google searches been affected over that time? Not very much. Not very much, or if at all. Yeah. So for me, as a case study, and everyone's watching this is going to be like, oh, yeah, you can only see the here and now. You can't see the future. Of course, it's going to be more impactful in the future, and it's going to be better than it is now. But the nature of information retrieval, which Google is, it's just really good like it is now. Like, honestly, if I want to know how to reduce my SaaS churn, I would never ask ChatGPT that question. <laughs> I would never ask Google SGG, because you know you're going to SGG. You know you're going to get a generic answer back. I'd rather read something from ProfitWell, something from another SaaS founder, and just get like a few different perspectives on it with the 10 blue links that load instantly and give me what I want. So I think what we're going to, my prediction, I will get to one prediction. I think in the future, we're going to look at LLMs. They're really good at doing things. If you want to do something, they're fantastic. They're a game-changing technology. I'm not dismissing the technology like you just used a year ago. That wasn't possible what you just did. Mm -hmm. feed all these interviews and, and videos and just being able to summarize and talk to it. That's amazing. But for finding stuff, finding information, Google search is still probably the best interface for that. So I think in the future, we're going to have sort of two, like we're going to know which tool to use. We're going to be like, I need to do something. I'll go to SGE. I need to actually read and, and learn about something. I'm going to go to traditional Google. So that's sort of my prediction. That said, I think SGE will eat away from some terms that people are using now for information retrieval when they really want to do something. But I don't see it as this like existential threat that's going to come and eat SEO. Could be wrong, but that's just my, my two cents. Okay. I think that's really interesting. I agree with you on the fact that ChatGPT is made to do things. And I think 
one of the stats that proves it the most is that in June, the the, stat, the usage went down. And you know why? Because university has closed. <laughs> and, so, yeah. and so that's one of the reasons. And because it's like it writes the letter to your landlord you don't want to write. It argues yeah. for the fine that you had. It tries to get you a refund for the plane ticket you could make. <laughs> and it does all that stuff. And it's like, that's useful, but that's not what Google was useful anyway. In my yeah. opinion, SG is probably going to be a little bit like when they released the weather in the SERPs, you know? Mm. It's like it killed the the weather sites. I mean, the weather sites yeah. went down like 80% or something. So I feel like there might be some verticals where traffic will go down a lot, while many will be unaffected. And it depends how deep is the information that you're looking for. If you're just looking for like, can my dog eat avocado? Like, yeah, it's like, so fetus snippets already do that. I don't need to read an article for that. But if you're looking like my dog is having a seizure right now or whatever, like you might be looking for something that's a little bit more, uh, has a bit more credentials and uh, is not just curated by AI basically. Yeah. yeah. And I think honestly, like the reason a lot of people say, oh, people search for something Reddit and Google a lot now. I don't know if you've seen this where people will do a search. Myself no, included Reddit, sometimes yeah. and use Reddit. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's just because the search results suck, although that's part of it. I think part of it is that people want a perspective from people. And that's what you get from Reddit. Like I was recently looking at like different training splits you can do for the gym. And I just didn't want to read some generic nonsense written by somebody or 10 people written by 10 people or AI or whatever. <laughs> I want to go to Reddit to see people's perspective. Some guy feels really strongly that you should do push, pull and legs. Another guy feels like you should do the bro split of like, you know, biceps and tries and all that stuff. It's like, Five times that's a what, week, yeah. yeah, that's what I want. I want to hear those perspectives. And that's what Google search is good at. And you're robbed of that with a GPT model, with a chat GPT or another model, because it just synthesizes stuff and it gives you the vanilla answer, the mediocre answer. But yeah, you're right. I think for certain searches, like even these stats pages we talked about, that's something Google has already, I've noticed this kind of expanded featured snippet mm. where if you search for like, number of chat GPT users, it won't just pull the, the snippet from your, from exploring topics above it. There's a hundred million, a huge text because yeah, they're yeah. confident from a bunch of sources that it's a hundred million. And they're just giving you some props because you're the best source or whatever for that. So I could hundred percent see those being like just massive parts of the page, if not taking up the entire page and eating away at some queries. But in the meantime, there's lots of things to be had for now, you know? Yeah, like, I don't understand. People are so gym, so quick to, like, jump on the next thing. And it's like, 90% yeah, yeah. of these things, these time, these things don't even happen. Like, voice search and Clubhouse yeah, yeah. and chatbots and all these <laughs> things. Like, they don't even happen half the time. So in the meantime, you're building for these things that are never going to come. Or Facebook Messenger and all this stuff. Like, in the meantime, like, Facebook Messenger is a perfect example. That was going to be like the email killer. Everyone's going to be a Facebook messenger. Oh, yeah. I Meanwhile, yeah. I was building my email list. I'm so glad I did. Like, you want to, do. you don't want to just be like, <laughs> you want to have an eye to the future, of course. And don't be, I'm not saying like be a Luddite and just forget uh, things, are, pretend things are always going to be the same because they're not. But always trying to be like one step ahead of the competition is a huge mistake. Like, what's working right now? I think a big part like of it that. is because a lot of marketers, they don't own businesses. So they don't know, like, they can, they have the luxury of predicting and they're consultants so they can talk about the future like you need leads this month how are you going to get them you're not going to get it from sge you need to figure out how to get leads today so that's kind of where my focus is most of the time with an eye in the future and knowing things will probably change and trying to prepare for that as well 
I agree. I think it's a, it's a bias of content creators as well. Like it's it, you get more clicks talking about the future than talking about what the boring same yeah. tactics, and that <laughs> kind of like point. biases the conversation. So I try to not do that in our content. It's like we talk about the future, but we also like say, hey, this stuff works today, and you should do that. It's boring, but it works, <laughs> uh, and because we want to have people actually make money. One last kind of like point that I've never heard you weigh in, and I think a lot of people would be interested. I'm releasing a video today on this. Is EEAT so? EAT has divided the world in two categories. Okay. <laughs> the people who believe that Google knows your entire life and just follows you in the street and you don't really need to tell anything because they know everything about you already and they've, just, they've made their mind about you. And the people who think it just doesn't exist and it's just like wish, wishful thinking in the Google search quality raters guidelines. What do you stand between these two sides, basically? Probably somewhere in the middle, but more towards that it doesn't matter. Especially when mm -hmm. it comes to your on-site EAT, like that's how out of the industry I am. I didn't even know this debate was happening. But it's just like with the topical authority stuff. If I put on my site, this was written by Elon Musk, reviewed by Bill Gates, edited by yeah, Mark Zuckerberg, it, yeah. it doesn't make it true. Why yeah, would yeah, they yeah. use that for anything? It doesn't make any sense. And we actually tested this recently on the site because we, out of just like sheer laziness, when a freelance writer would contribute a post, we had my co-founder Josh as the author because he's the one that set up our CMS. Like that is how little I cared about authorship. So then recently we've been changing the author to the person who actually wrote the piece. No change whatsoever. And these are people with totally different histories. Josh is not super like e-famous, but he has some enough for Google to understand who he is. And then the, the freelance writer may or may not be, have any, they maybe just have a LinkedIn profile. And it doesn't make any difference in terms of traffic because the page is authoritative because people are linking to it and it makes the users happy. Everything else is pretty much noise. My take on that is more that there's kind of like a minimum threshold that you need to meet in terms of communicating who you are, who is behind the website, et cetera, okay, and yeah. all of that. And if you don't meet that threshold, you, you're in trouble and you just jump up and down with the algorithm updates, et cetera. And it's like lots of people, you know, it's like, it's funny, like in that video I explained, like the traditional niche site will have like a dirty contact form seven contact page with no information of who's behind the site on the about page or anything like that. There's no business associated with it. Mm -hmm. There's no address. There's no phone number. There's no nothing. That that's, that tells you like, okay, there's, there's a legit company behind this or like yeah. someone that's trustable. Um, I think if people don't meet that threshold, I think Google's probably looking at that. That's a good theory. No, that's a really good point. And, and that, that's more about transparency than trying to say, yeah. I'm some sort of expert. Uh, one thing that I like as well is, um, so one thing I, I actually tell people that might be interesting, but like, I can't tell for sure it's a ranking factor is like, um, associating yourself with high-profile authors in your in your niche, but actually having the links back, like from their social profiles, etc., back to mm -hmm. their auto page on your site and making custom auto pages on the site, because like you can fake saying Bill Gates wrote the article, <laughs> but you can't fake Bill Gates LinkedIn profile linking yeah. back to your auto page on your site, you know? Yep. So it's like, if you can have these kind of like assets and actually associate all this stuff with schema, et cetera, it might not be a bad thing, but I think the most important is actually giving some transparency about who's behind the site and the content. And I think a lot of sites fail that and they actually might be jumping up and down in the rankings mm. because of that. Yeah, makes um, sense. But it was in it was interesting because, you know, you have that on all your sites. Like on Backlinko, you've had that. On Exploding Topic, you have that. But people sometimes build sites in a very, uh, <laughs> very yeah. random way. And it's yeah. like, I think it's like Google wanting to not have fake news on their front page. It's, it's a problem. Like they want to know who's yeah. behind the site. That's 100% true. Yeah, you're right about that. Like I, for my old affiliate sites, I used to go overboard with that stuff. Like I would put my ad and I would create an address with a virtual mailbox. 
have yeah, a phone yeah. number, like, cause I, I agree with you. Google does, I think they do care about that stuff. And you're right. Cause the number one thing is just their big goal is CYA, right? They don't want to show people fake news or stuff that's inaccurate. Exactly. Yeah. And how do they suss that out? Well, links is one way, but also is the site trusted, but also the yeah. brand, the brand is the big one too. Like Exactly. What is yeah, associated brand with your brand? brand? Are you brand mentioned? Yeah, you positively yeah. like that's where the, the radar guidelines are helpful because they're using humans to say, does this site have a good or bad reputation? Because it's one thing to get a bunch of links, but you've seen over the years, like Dr. Axe, like that site had tons of links, had authority out the wazoo. He's they an actual so well MD, he's an done. actual doctor. Like on the surface, he should be like killing it. He's a doctor in natural medicine. So that's, okay. uh, I didn't know uh, that. Like, I don't know the details. <laughs> yeah. I'm not pretending to. We actually we had a site competing guy. with him, so it's like it's like I would say in terms of credentials, I would be questioning <laughs> the the actual um, the quality of the information. Okay, on his I don't know. I never even went to the site. I just remember seeing it and being like, "Wow, I can't believe it got uh, sent." Because he was like the poster child for that August medic update. Um, yeah, ago. but like it's cool. I, I like that what you're saying, like the reputation, etc. It's a lot of the stuff that we tell people, so I'm happy about that. Yeah. Um, it comes back like, to yeah, honestly, like ninety percent of SEO is just doing smart stuff as you would as a yeah, business. Yeah. Like, and it's like you need to be you, more if you're a real business, you would have that. Like, you need to to show your face. Like, you can't just like run a site with like I put a people that do not exist photo and like uh, <laughs> like invent a name, etc. I think this is kind of ending slowly as Google has to be fighting fake news. On its yep. and it's, it's going to affect them basically. Okay, to wrap it up, the, my last question is: Do you have two creators that you follow that, and in the industry that you think need more followers that you would recommend to people? I'm honestly, dude, I'm not. An, I'm like so out in the SEO industry. Yeah, I don't really yeah, follow yeah. people in, in SEO. entrepreneurship. Yeah, and entrepreneurs, the one that I've been following a lot lately is Alex Becker. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. Okay, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I knew him from his SEO days. Oh, he was kind of like yeah back, back in the day. But now I like him actually. I think he has yeah. a, he has a good advice. He's pretty hardcore, but he's cool actually. Yeah, but it's good to be hard. Like he's hardcore, and then you realize you do like twenty five percent of what he's doing. You're still like completely over the top. But it just it's just motivating <laughs> for me. That's the only one I can think of at the moment that okay. I'm following. Final words of wisdom and where people can find you. Yeah, the number one place to find me would be my YouTube channel at Brian Dean. Getting that back going again, as you mentioned, and then the number one words of wisdom is honestly like. These SEO conversations are often get into the weeds of like uh, topical authority and uh, keywords and stuff like that. And yeah, that's always important, but it's all about the user. Like if the user is happy, then you're going to generally do well. If people are coming to your site and you have topical authority, that's perfect. And use some topical map to create it. Right, so site, yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't, and your site just, like no one's going to stay and people, Google will know. Or if you don't create a brand, if you just create a, a site silently and you're not trying to push other channels to try to get people to talk about your site, which Google pays definitely pays attention to, like honestly, like the SEO is almost a byproduct of doing stuff well. Now you still need to focus. I'm not just saying like create great content and you'll rank because I hate that stuff. I've hated that stuff since I created Backlinko. It's not about that. But it's that if you only do SEO, it's a lot harder. Is basically my message. I agree with you. That's why we're doing YouTube. That's why we're doing all these stuff, exactly. etc. Because it actually helps. Yeah. And uh, and we find so yeah. But like we're definitely more focused on building brands than we're building just SEO now. It's like and I think also it's like uh, people need to pivot their business models quite often. Like people see SEO as a business. It's not a business. It's a traffic source. Yep. And like we've been encouraging people to do more like their own products and actually like build a customer base, etc. Because all these things matter as well. Like if affiliates mention you, if like it means other things, uh, sites are quoting your brand, etc. And you're creating an environment where you can be quoted more on the web, which helps you do better, basically. Okay, cool. Well, thanks for joining the podcast. I hope you had fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you very much. See you later.